following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, thank you for lifting your voices with us. What a morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, If you do have your Bibles, would you grab them? And would you find your place with me in Psalm 8 this morning? Um, If you're here, by the way, you don't have a Bible with you, um, we invite you to use one of ours. There should be one right around you. Uh, And if you're here and you don't own one, let's change that this morning. We'd love to give you one. Uh, Find one around you. Grab it. Uh, Find one of ours. It's a hardback black or blue one. Find one of those. Uh, Grab it. Take that with you. You don't need to let us know. Just take it with you. It is our honor and joy to be able to have given away cases of these, Um, but we'd love to give you one. Uh, We have something really important to talk about this morning, Um, something we probably don't talk about often. So how many of you have heard of the great command, love God, love others? How many have heard of that? All right, that's the great command. How many have heard of the great commission? Go therefore, right? Make disciples. Great command, great commission. Well, there's one other aspect of this that I'd like to talk about this this morning, and that is what theologians have called the cultural mandate. So great command, great commission, and if I was naming it, I would just say the great mandate, but it's been known as the cultural mandate, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, the cultural mandate. And if, if you were to look at our psalm this morning, um, by the way, this is a psalm that was penned by David. And uh, we, we see as we look at this psalm that David is in a place of awe and wonder. He's in a place of worship. So let me just we got to read these first two, these first two ver- verses. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. David here is caught up in all-out worship. He's realizing how great, how incredible, how awe-inspiring God is, and he's just caught up. And he even says, look, Lord, it is all you. I mean, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you call out your strength. David is, in other words, your strength, O Lord, is not contingent on anyone. You call out your strength in the mouths of of babies. Your strength is made visible in weakness, and you don't need my strength to be strong. In other words, God. David here is just caught up in wonder. And then he begins to look around. In verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. So, so here, David looks up and he's looking around and he's just in absolute awe, overwhelmed by the glory, the power of God. 
And as he is overwhelmed, not only is he overwhelmed, drawn to his knees in worship, but church, he's also drawn to ask a really important question. Verse 4, in light of all of that, as I look up and see all that, as I'm in wonder of all of that now, what is man that you, O oh God, are mindful of him, the son of man, that you, O oh God, would care for him? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. I, I mean, God, you, you are perfect, you are good, you are love, you are righteous, you are holy, you are sovereign, you are the creator of all things. Lord, you are powerful, you are all-knowing. You have no need of anything or anyone. You are self-sufficient. You created all things from nothing, and now you hold all things together. God, that is you. Now, who am I? That is you. Now, who on earth am I? That you would be mindful of me, that you would care for me. God, that is you, now who am I? By the way, pause button here. This feeling that David is articulating here, this, uh, the feeling of Psalm 8-4, when you realize who God is, how great he is, and then you're left to say, oh my, who am I? This feeling, that feeling, is something I like to call a gospel primer. A gospel primer. It's like that coat of paint that you throw up on the wall so that the other coat of paint looks real good, sticks to it, right? It's a gospel primer. It gets you ready. It prepares you for the gospel. This feeling of Psalm 8-4, now that church is a gospel primer. Now that church gets us ready. When you realize who God is and you're left to say, now who on earth am I, then you're ready. Oh, church, you're ready. For the gospel to then be applied because you're able to see the truth of the gospel which says through Jesus Christ you're a son of God. You are forgiven. You stand righteous. Not by any good in you, any good you have done, but you are loved by God. You are forgiven by God because God is good. Because of Jesus Christ you will be with God forever. So Psalm 8-4 really, this is a gospel primer. When you're in this place and you can relate to these words and this feeling, oh, church, then we get the joy of thinking of the truth of the gospel. The truth that says you were blind, but now you see. The truth that says God, the holy, the righteous, perfect God of the universe sent Jesus Christ. Then you can see this, feel this, that Jesus Christ willingly stepped into humanity that he lived the life you could never live, that he died the death that you deserved, that he willingly bore the cross that was reserved for you, that he rose again, giving you the victory through Christ. God loves you, forgives you, and God has called you to be with him forever. See, Psalm 8-4 leads us to the gospel, prepares us for, primes us for the gospel. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. What on earth is man, my, my translation, that you are mindful of him, 
son of man, that you care for him. And it's now, in this moment, that David is going to now draw us back to something really important. So let me read this for us, and then I'll, uh, we'll unpack this a bit. Um, so verse 4, what is man? Or my translation, what on earth is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would care for him? Verse 5, yet you have made him, that is man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all oxen, or sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Now, church, what is David talking about? I mean, we can read this and just kind of just think of it as this is the language of Scripture and not take in what David is actually saying here. What is he saying? What is going on? What is David talking about? I mean, I know David is king. I mean, ruler, right? He's a king. So is he just talking about the power that comes along with him being king? Is that what he's talking about? As you read this, I mean, no. Uh, one, we know this because he connects it to creation, which we're going to see here in a bit. But also, he's not just talking about himself. He, 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 David is talking about man, the son of man. He's not using personal pronouns like I and me here. No, if he uses him, referring back to men. In other words, he's not just talking about the kings in the room. He's talking about all of mankind. He's talking about all of those who were born from humans. All. So if you're here and you were born from a human, welcome. This is you. All right? This is you. So you have to ask, like you read this and you think, what is he talking about? I mean, do you have that power? Are you created a little lower than the heavenly beings? Are you, are you crowned by God with glory and honor? Are you? Are you given dominion over the works of God's hands? Has your God put all things under your feet? All sheep and oxen, most of us don't really deal with sheep and oxen, but you know what I'm saying. The beasts of the field, the birds, the fish. What's he talking about? What's he talking, okay, I want to invite you to turn with me. Hold your place here, we're coming right back. But would you turn with me to the very front of your Bible to Genesis 1? To answer this question, the what is David talking about question, and the is this you question, I I want us to look back to where it all began. See, David here, notice in our psalm, he is pointing us back to creation. He's saying, when I look up at the works of the heavens, the works of your hands, that you have set into place, the sun, the, the stars, he's looking back at creation, So for a moment, let's turn back 
And let's consider the way all of this, the way God set all this into place. Let's read it together, and then I believe we are going to begin to see what David is calling our attention to. Genesis 1 in the beginning. By the way, chapter 1, verse 1. I meant the very beginning of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, he did. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, this is where the fireworks begin. Here's the first thing that our God said. Verse 3 says, let there be light. Then he said, that's day, that's night. Then our God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate uh, the waters from the waters and called it heaven. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered to one place. Let dry land appear. He called it earth and he called it seed. Then he said, let the earth sprout, vegetation, plants, fruit trees. And it happened. It was good. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. And he called it. He called it sun. Then he called it the moon and the stars. Then our God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let the let the sky swarm with birds. And it happened. They were blessed and it was good. Our God's not quite done. Then, our God said, let the earth now bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And God did it. He made the beasts, he made the animals. Then he stepped back again, church, and he said, that was good. Then, by the way, the word of God just changes everything here. It was through his word, all things were created. Our God's not done. Remember our psalm says, when I look up the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set into place. Now let's read how he set it into place. Let's shift our focus now to mankind. Let's, let's look at. God's creation of us. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Listen to this, church. This might sound familiar. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Verse 27, our God does it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and he blessed them, and he said, listen to this, church, be fruitful and multiply. Now listen, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea, the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heaven, to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given you every green plant for food. It was so. 
And by the way, right after this verse, just side note, God steps back and he says, not only that was that good, now that was, that was really good. It was very good, exceedingly good. So as we take this in, God creates, our God creates everything out of nothing through the word of his mouth and he gives us life. And not only that, he creates you and I, humanity, mankind in his very image, image bearers. There is nothing else in all of creation that is made in the imago Dei, the image of God. There is nothing else. Whether you are a man or a woman, boy or girl, you, church, are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God, his own image. You are an image bearer of our God. And along with that, embedded into that, embedded into the act of creation, there is a mandate that was given to mankind. He says, look, man, look, woman, my image bearers, do you see all that I have created on earth? You see the plants, the animals, fish, birds. You see everything that I just said, and it existed. You see all the things that I just spoke into existence. Look around at the earth, at all that I just made. And as verse 28 says, now, I call you to fill it. I call you to subdue it. And I call you to have dominion over it. What on earth does that mean? Let's start with the first one, fill it. That was probably the easiest one. What does it mean to fill? Well, contextually here, that's definitely the easiest one to understand. We fill the earth by being fruitful, by multiplying, by having babies, spreading out, procreating. Now, um, To be clear here, God is the one who brings life, who gives life. God is the one who blesses us and creates life. But in his sovereignty, he has called us to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth as his image bearers. That's the filling part. First part of the mandate. Now, what about the subduing part? He says, fill it. Then he says, subdue it. God says to fill the earth and then subdue the earth. Uh, what does it mean to subdue the earth? The word subdue is, is a word meaning to bring into subjection, to bring into control. Uh, to subdue something is to step into something that is chaotic, uncontrolled, without order, and to bring order into the chaos, to bring direction and order to what was once uncontrolled. That's what it means to subdue. I have three young boys. (laughs) You know where I'm going with this. Um, And uh, I think about times when um, a fight breaks out in their room. And, uh, you know, Legos have been broken. Feelings have really been upset and hurt. And uh, voices are beginning to raise. Chaos is like just filling their room, just filling it. If you haven't heard this before at our house, it's, it's fun. Um, and Candace will walk in, and she will subdue it. She will subdue it. Um, step into the middle of the action, 
step right into the middle of the chaos so that she can calm everyone down. You know, rebuke that one. Get that one to stop whining. That one just needs to eat something, so go, get out of here. Like, go to the kitchen, right? Split them up, stop making it worse, and she'll step in, and she'll bring the chaos under control. Candace is subduing. Candace is subduing the room. Maybe it's just send them out to ride their bikes. That's often the, the, the uh, answer to the problem. But all of a sudden, where once there was chaos, there is now, for a little bit, quiet and peace and calm. Order. Direction. To bring the unordered and uncontrolled into order and control. That is your mandate. I want you to think about this. God said, go subdue the earth. That is your mandate. That is our mandate. To bring order to what is on this earth, to bring what is chaotic into order. This is why we build cities. This is why we build infrastructure, why we manage things. We fill the earth, but we don't just fill it with chaos. We then subdue it. We then subdue it. We spread out, multiply, and then we bring it under control. And and let's not kid ourselves here. When I say subdue the earth, I by no means, um, it does not mean that you control everything. No. Wrong. It does not mean that you control all of nature. It does not mean that you are sovereign and that you can bend mother nature to your will to bring control. Not what I'm going for. Not what I'm talking about here. Um, That's not how it works. But church, what it does mean is that it brings your God glory It brings him glory when you live into this purpose and when you are able to walk into the messy world around you and bring order and peace. Creation started in Genesis with a garden that needed to be tended, kept, and maintained. And by the way, it all ends in the back of your Bible in Revelation with a city that needs to be managed needing order. This is our mandate. I'll say more about this, but I want to consider the third part. So we have to fill it, we have to subdue it, and then the third part is to have dominion. Now, to subdue and to have dominion, very similar, but there's a bit of a different nuance here. I'll put it like this. One focuses on the room, and the other one focuses on the kids. Let's return back to our example of Candace. Um, Subduing is walking into the chaos of the room. Walking in, yelling, Legos flying, walking in, calming the room down, bringing it to order. Calm. That's subduing. Now, dominion focuses on the kids, the son, the daughter. Dominion says, look, you need to listen to me, and you need to go to the kitchen table, and you need to sit there. To subdue 
is to take the chaos of the room and calm it down. To exercise dominion, now that involves over the children. Now, let's see this in our text. If you see, it says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The it there is the earth, the room. Okay? Subdue the earth. Then, our text says, Have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the animals. We subdue the earth. We have dominion over the creatures. You see this? Now, God's mandate, cultural mandate to us is to fill it, to subdue it, and to have dominion over the creatures. Now, before we jump back into Psalm 8, um, before this kind of springs us back, you have to ask the question, what does this mean for you and me? Like today, how do we live into this? I have an even better question, does it even matter? I think we kind of understand that the great command to love God, love others, that one's important. I think we understand that the great commission, go therefore, make disciples, that's important. That wasn't an option. It wasn't the great suggestion. It was the great commission. We get that. That's important. But is this cultural mandate something we should still think about? Should it change the way we live? Does it matter for you? First of all, yes. This matters deeply for you. It matters deeply. This mandate, by the way, was given to Adam and Eve. Later, you could read it in chapter 9 of Genesis, it was given again to Noah. This was given to all of humanity, as we said, to all of those image bearers. If you're here and you are human, then you are an image bearer. And if you are here, and if you are human, and if you are an image bearer, then this is your mandate. This is yours. You are called to step into the messiness of this world. Have you noticed this world is messy at times? You are called to step into that mess, the chaos, the disorder. You are called into it to make this world, your community, your neighborhood a better place. To tend the gardens and to build the cities. That's your call. Not to retreat. Not to just wish and pray that heaven were here and do nothing to help it. This is your call. This is your mandate here. And by the way... This is not only for Christians. Um, this is not only for those of us who are followers of Jesus. This mandate was given to all humanity. All humanity. By God's grace, this is not a distinctly Christian thing. This is a human thing. This is a human thing. Uh, this is why I would love it if we were to link arms with those who maybe don't even know Jesus. To, to make our communities a better place. And why? How can I say this? Because this mandate was given to all of us as humans, as image bearers. You, because of your humanity, should make your world a better place, should tend this garden, should manage things well, should bring order to the chaos. And yes, for those of you who are a follower of Jesus, You are making your community a better place in the name of Jesus. 
to bring him glory, to glorify God. That is absolutely true. Um, We've been given the Great Commission to go and to tell the whole world about Jesus. We've been given the Great Command to love our God and to love each other. And this is true, absolutely true for us as Christians, but, but church, hear me, whether or not you trust and follow Jesus, the cultural mandate remains to fill this earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion over it. This is ours. This is a, not a strictly Christian thing, it's an image bearer thing. Now, one more thing about this is the cultural mandate that we're talking about is really all about stewardship. It's all about stewardship. It, Let's look at the cultural mandate through the eyes, through the lens of someone who is a follower of Jesus. We read this and we see fill the earth. And we know that it's the Lord who gives life. We know that it's the Lord who breathes life into us. We fill the earth only when the Lord fills our wombs. We get this. We get this. We now steward only what the Lord gives. We subdue and have dominion over creation. We know the whole time that the Lord is the one who is sovereign. That it is, there is only one who is sovereign and we are to have dominion under the one who has ultimate dominion. We know this. We steward the things that God created. We steward the things that God has put into our, uh, our lives to be sovereign over. The cultural mandate is a stewardship mandate. Everything that you are given, I want you to hear me. Every single thing that you are given, all of it, your house, your neighborhood, your city, your community, your church, all of it, everything that you were given was given to you to steward, to make better, not to use, to make better to take ownership because you're an image bearer of our God. Now we get to live into this great purpose and that's what is called the cultural mandate. It's given to us as image bearers of God to steward creation. Now, I promised I would come back. Let's go back with me to Psalms 8. Um, and as we are gonna see here, Psalm 8, or Genesis 1, is the most incredible backdrop for our psalm in Psalm 8. Um, because this text, I just want to be clear here, this text was on David's mind when he penned Psalm 8. Just kind of take that in. I thought that was cool. You might not. I, I geek out about these things. But no question, what we just read was on David's mind when he penned this psalm. As he looks back at this, this psalm, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, you would care for him. Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion. Over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. In other words, David says, who are we that you should look at us 
your image bearers, and that you would bless us at all, that you would love us at all. And who are we that you would look at us and then give us this cultural mandate? That you would create us, breathe life into us, call us now to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over all that you have created. Who are we, Lord, that you would see us, that you would use us like this? Here's the truth here. Your God sees you like this. Your God sees us like this. I want to make this personal and then collective, if you'll you'll follow me here. Let's start with the personal. Your God sees you like this, has created you, puts you in your life, in your community, in your home, in your school, in your office, in your circles, wherever you are, in your church, He has created you and placed you where you are, and he has given you this mandate to now make it, make your world a better place. To step into the messiness and to bring peace and to bring order. That's why you're here. Do you see yourself that way? You are not here for you. You are not here. Existing for yourself, you do not exist to get yours and then to let everything else go up into flames. You are not here for you. You are here as a steward. And for everyone who's a follower of Jesus, can I just add to this, that you are here to steward well for the glory of God. You have been given everything that you have been given to use for the glory of God. Not about making a name for yourself. Not about making this world a better place just for you. It's about making this world a better place in the limited time that you have. That's the cultural mandate. Are you living your life like this? And more than this, let's think about this collectively. Are we living our lives like this? Let's think about this as a church. What's true for you, church, is true for us collectively, stewards. We are not called to make a name for ourselves. The name of Stone Oak Bible Church will fade. The name of Jesus Christ will not. You are here, you and I, we are here to make our community a better place, to use what we have been given, to step in and to turn the mess and the chaos into order and peace in the name of Jesus Christ, to step into the dark to be light. That is why we are here. I, I want to I give cultural mandate question for you, uh, two parts, and... Um, I I do want you to think about this. I do want you to pray about this. Um, I'll start with the collective part. Um, If we, our church, were to close our doors right now, done. If we were to vanish, if um, we were done no more right here, right now, would our community know? Would our community care? Would our community be impacted? Would our community suffer as a result of us not being here? Don't answer it out loud. But church, because of the mandate the Lord has given us, not to mention the great command, not to mention the great commission... 
the answer to all of these should be a resounding yes. But if, church, it is not, if the answer is no, this is our calling this morning, and, and we must change this together. It begins with you. And speaking of you, let's shift to the personal part. If you, right now, were to move, if you, right now, poof, gone, transported to Oregon, No more, right now, right here, right now. Would your community, would your neighborhood know? Would the people in your circles, would they care? Would they be impacted? Would their lives suffer as a result of an image bearer being taken from them? Again, don't answer this out loud, but church, again, because of the mandate the Lord has given you, Not to mention again the great command, not to mention again the great commission, but because of the mandate the Lord has given you, the answer to all of these should be a resounding yes. And if it's not, this is our call this morning. We must change this this morning. And it begins with you, it begins with us. Let's pray. Lord, um, there's so much more here that we could unpack, but what is very clear is that we need you. God, um, you have called us to love you and to love others. Would you help us do that? You've called us to go now and make disciples and teach and baptize. And, and would, you, would you equip us? Would you send us? And Lord, would you also help us to remember to open our eyes and look around at the people, at the things that are around us, at the messiness, at the chaos of life sometimes. Would you cause us to open our eyes and to stop living for ourselves, but instead to step into what is messy? to step into what is chaotic and to bring the peace, the shalom that comes from an image bearer. Would you help us to be that in our circles, Lord? I pray right now as we walk out of this place, would you help us to be that in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our apartments? I pray that as we walk out of this place, as we roll into another week, would you help us, allow us to be this in our offices, to bring beauty into the mess, to bring order into the chaos. Would you help us? Would you equip us? Would you send us? Would you open our eyes to do that? And Lord, I just pray for us collectively. Would you help each one of us? Would you help us to make this church a better place for your glory? Would you help us together to make our community a better place in the name and for the glory of our God and not our own. God, would you help us to walk now in this? Would you, through your spirit, convict us in this? And would you send us out again for your glory?